0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Arthur Staple hosting No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from the athletic uh, Mark Parrish, my usual co-host. Uh, can't be here today due to some unforeseen circumstances, uh, but he will be back with us next week. So I'm flying solo. Uh, put out a call a couple hours ago for some questions via Twitter. Um, you guys, as always, came through. So um, before we get into that, uh, we did have one pretty exciting game uh, since the last time we talked. Um islanders managed to squeeze a point out of uh, a pretty <laughs> dire situation in the third period against the rangers they were down uh, andy green who was hurt uh, in the first period of that game michael del call who took a big hit from jacob true which we'll talk about in a few seconds here and then jg Pajot in his islander debut had the only goal for the islanders at that point um dropped the gloves and jumped in on Truba after that hit on Call and got uh, an instigator plus a 10-minute misconduct. So he was basically gone for the game in that third period. Rangers made it 3-1 soon after. Islanders thought they made it 3-2. Goal waved off for goalie interference. Review, uh, upheld, uh, rather challenged by Barry Trotz, upheld. Islanders go on the penalty kill with about 7 and change to go. Uh, it certainly looked like a lost cause, but they managed to get 2 in the last five uh, 540 or so of the third. Um... Tie it up, lose it very quickly in overtime. But I got the sense in OT that uh, they were mentally probably a little spent from uh, from all the patchwork uh, lines and, and shifts, and then just trying to get it even, which they did. So you know, it's sort of a natural thing. I, what I had written right afterwards was was probably the best loser point the Islanders have gotten uh, in the history of overtime and shootouts, and I'll stick by that. It was uh, an important point. Rangers uh, are really on a roll, but they're still five points back. That point. Got the Islanders out of a out of a tie in points with Columbus, who also went on to lose in regulation in Minnesota that night. Carolina lost at home in regulation that night. So um, all in all, not a bad night, all things considered. Um, Andy Green skated uh, on Thursday in St. Louis. Doesn't didn't look like he was going to play as of the time we're recording this. Uh, Michael Delcald did look like he was going to play, which is kind of a surprise considering he took a pretty flush blow right to the head. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, and you know the fact that Green was skating, Cal Clutterbuck also out in St. Louis skating before last night's game. So I assume we'll see both of those guys in there soon enough. Uh, Islanders getting a little bit healthier, which is an important thing to have this time of year. Um, but, yeah, back to Tuesday. Uh, a couple of the key moments, got some questions. Mike Stone uh, wrote in on Twitter to ask about... Uh, the hit by Truba on uh, Pajot and then uh, Ryan Gillespie asking if uh, the NHL should or will change the rule of what is deemed goalie interference in the offseason because uh, no one seems to know. <laughs> um, first, the hit. Uh, you know, I think on first view, it looks awful. On second view, it looks awful. Um, Truba lined up Dalcall, who was looking for the puck in his feet in the middle of the ice. It was a pass from Pajot to try to get out of the zone, and uh, Michael Duck Hall definitely had his head down too long in open ice Uh, up until about 10 years ago. That was a recipe for disaster. Every time it happened, somebody was ready to step up and hit you. And if it was a guy like Scott Stevens, you were in big trouble health-wise. So um, you rarely see them these days, which is why it was so, I think, shocking to a lot of fans, especially Islander fans. The first point of contact was the head. But um, as it was explained to me and as I tried to explain it in my story and on Twitter— um, not all hits to the head are illegal hits in the NHL right now. Now, you might say, well, if the, some of them are, you know, they all kind of cause the same result concussion. Um, the fact that Michael Del played tonight, uh, rather last night in St. Louis, uh, is pretty surprising 48 hours later, but um, he left that game and didn't return on Tuesday, so there was something clearly wrong. Um, so if, if they all. Uh, have the same result, essentially, which is a concussion or some sort of head injury, why why aren't they treated the same? Well, that's up to the NHL and the Players Association. Right now, they feel like it's a it's a physical game. Nobody's taking the hitting out of it. If your head gets in the way of a legal hit, that's not great, but it's not a penalty, and it's certainly not a suspension or a fine. Um, the fact that they got the call right on the ice was infuriating, I think, especially in light of Pajot jumping in to take the, what was clearly an instigator, uh, and then that's 17 minutes in penalties with whatever 13 minutes left in the game. Um, it's hard to get those right right on the spot, and I'm sure there would have been a review, um, but I think you know, when you look at, at Truba's positioning, his arms are in, he's not extending any part of his body to hit the head, which certainly would have resulted in a major. Um, he's not leaving his feet, he's not driving upwards into the head, he's driving up through the chest, and... Michael Duck calls head's down. It's tucked in front of his chest. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of frame by frame type stuff. But um, but according to the rule book, that's a legal hit. So uh, bad result. Um, but again, you know, the Islanders did come back and get a point. And I think the effect of what Pajot did in the locker room. This guy's in his first game. Is in his first day. You know, he flew down the night before. I'm sure he didn't get a chance to meet anybody. Um, Tuesday morning, he walks into the facility for the first time, meets all his new teammates, uh, has a a pretty extended session with uh, a much larger than usual media contingent, goes out, new system, new terminology, uh, all that stuff, Um, scores a a big goal because Alexander Georgiev was lights out, as he seems to always be against the Islanders. you know, Pajot seemed to be the only one who knew where that uh, rebound of Ryan Pulock shot came off the off the end boards. Put it down and scored. He was pretty excited. Uh, and then the new guy jumps in, and I uh, you know I think the reaction from almost everybody that that was talked to in the room was this: this guy's going to be a hell of a teammate. You know, it, it, you hear the stories about a guy, but sometimes it takes a little while. It took this guy less than three periods to score his first goal, stand up for a teammate that he just met. Um, and as, as Pajot put it, you know, he's like, these guys have welcomed me. And, um, you know, if it had been me that got hit like that, I'm sure one of them would have stepped up for me. So it was the right thing to do. And, uh, and I think he also threw in that it was his pass that kind of put dog call in a bad spot. So he really felt, uh, felt bad about it. So, um, I think this is a guy who, uh, everyone is going to really like having around. Um, he may not be a 25 goal scorer again. That was his 25th, uh, the other night, but, uh, but I think the the production and the attitude, you know, uh, like uh, like we said on the last show, Derek Broussard, who's known for a long time, said of Pajot, he's not going to wow you with his skill. He is going to wow you with his work ethic. And uh, I think he wowed some people in that first game. Uh, and as far as the goal interference goes uh, on uh, Devon Taves's waved-off goal, uh, you can basically flip a coin on most of these. And I think that's the infuriating part for everybody from game to game, the standard changes and... To me, the influence of the call on the ice is, uh, is a little outsized when it comes to the review process with Toronto. So, so the puck goes in. Anders Lee does have a skate in the blue. Alexander Georgiev does have room to set up and see the shot. Uh, Lee isn't there by himself. He's jostling with Ryan Lindgren, Rangers defenseman. Georgiev gives him, gives him a shove to try to get him out of the way and then goes to set up. So Georgiev has initiated the contact. If that call was reversed, if it was called a goal on the ice, that review would have lasted five seconds. If the Rangers had challenged, there would have been there would have been no way that the Rangers would have challenged that because who can know? You know, it's um, you know, I, and I heard after the fact from someone with the league, very much off the record, that uh, you know that kind of asked me, well, why didn't Barry challenge the Rangers' second goal, which was a Greg McKegg deflection of Brendan Lemieux's shot from the point uh, that made it two nothing. Um, and McKeg went through the crease and kind of hooked Varlamov's pad which Barry Trotz did mention in the post game but he didn't want to challenge it because he didn't think it would get overturned because they've been in that situation before where where it, it's it's a complete coin flip 50-50 whether the refs and the situation room would decide that if clicking skates with the goalie uh, whether he has enough time to get set up again for a shot it's it's very very hit or miss so um, you know I, I yeah, I wish they could come up with a standard. I don't think they they can. Uh, so I think this mess is going to continue. I just wonder if maybe we start to see um, the penalty taken away for a goalie interference challenge, maybe you get one freebie and then then the next one's a penalty so that maybe there's a little bit more wiggle room to to review some of these and maybe that allows a, a better standard to be applied because the referees on the ice it's you know, that Kevin Pollack called that wave that off immediately. He's looking through three guys and the goalie and trying to decide if the goalies had time to set up and who initiated contact and are his feet in the blue and should they be in the blue. and um, It's a lot. It's a lot for everybody. I think that one, when you talk about having another official on-site to review things right away or call down – um maybe that's where that sort of situation is needed only you know kind of a in in case of emergency break glass in case of goal interference uh break the glass on the third referee and see if he can help out uh, i don't really have an answer for it and i don't think anybody around the league does anybody in the players association does so this is what we've got unfortunately um let's see what else uh chances uh chances questions uh we've gotten from everybody um Jason Remsbecker writes in and says, do you see Letty Boychucker Mayfield being moved this offseason to free up some cap space? And who do you think is a realistic UFA we go for this summer? Well, this is a little premature, but why not? We should certainly discuss it. Um, you know, the Pajos signing, I think, after the, the excitement of Monday's trade deadline and the, and the game on Tuesday, and obviously there's a, there's a playoff hunt going on, 20 games left, 19 now as you're listening to this. Um, and the Islanders are right in the thick of it, and they feel like they have at full strength a team that can advance in the playoffs. Um, but next summer, when the season ends, they've got some decisions to make. Matthew Barzal, as we've talked about, is an RFA. He needs a new contract. It's not going to be an easy one. He's kind of the marquee RFA after that last crazy summer of, of RFAs who, who kind of signed for a bunch of different prices and terms and took as much time as they needed all the way up into training camp in some cases. Um to a lesser degree, Ryan Pullock and Devon Taves are gonna be difficult ones, probably just because of what they're gonna cost. Even if Devon Taves, who's making, you know, close to the league minimum right now, signs for, for three years three and a half, four million, which is about what he's worth playing twenty minutes a night. Uh, Ryan Pullock is making two million on a bridge deal. If you want to go long term with him, you're going to, you're talking five, six, six and a half million um, that your cap space gets eaten up pretty fast. You know, as according to our good friends at cap friendly, uh, after the Pajot signing, the Islanders have uh, $70 million in cap space already eaten up for next year. Uh, and that's without Barzell's contract, without Pollock's contract, without Taves contract, without a second goalie, since Thomas Grace is going to be a free agent. Um, there's a lot of decisions to be made and, and clearly the where the spot that they can Free up some space. You know, I think the most obvious spot to me, uh, not just freeing up space, but a a lineup spot is Leo Komarov, I think, might be in danger of being bought out. He doesn't have any no-move protection. Two years left at a straight $3 million cap hit. Um, There's definitely some savings to to be generated there. Um, and then you look at Letty and Boychuk. I think as the two highest paid defensemen. You know, Andrew Ladd is sitting there still with with three years left and five and a half million dollars per on the cap. Um, and the Parise Ladd deal wouldn't have wouldn't have helped much at all unless Minnesota retained an awful lot of Parise's contract. So Ladd's deal is going to be very difficult to move. Uh, it's essentially buyout proof because of the signing bonus structure. So uh, we'll start with the guys that actually might have some appeal elsewhere. And and Nick Letty. You know, there's no evidence that he's been on the trading block. I think maybe it was discussed a little bit last year with the emergence of Taves, but that was probably when um, you know they, they weren't too sure about uh, about the you know how deep they could go in the playoffs. Um, Barry Trotz clearly likes Nick Letty a lot. You, it's good to have a guy who can still skate like that at uh, at age 28, um, and it doesn't he doesn't seem you know Nick Letty's not a guy who's uh, has been broken down and been injured a lot. Uh, he's a very durable guy. He's missed a few games this year, but I think in the role that he uh, is in now, with the after Andy Green was acquired, uh, playing some more conservative minutes, uh, getting a little bit of power play time, although he was off there with Paggio, uh on that second unit in the last game, um, he can still be an effective defenseman. And with two years left at a $5.5 a cap hit, I think for the right team, he certainly fits. Um, whether you can just sort of straight get rid of that contract and get maybe a draft pit back or, or not, you know. I don't think Nick Letty's in the category of needing to swap a contract for a contract. But it would be interesting to see whether Lou Lamarillo, if that's what he decides. And Johnny Boychuk has two, two years left at $6 million per. He's also 36. He's got uh, an interesting no-trade clause where he has seven teams he can be traded to, so he can veto a trade to probably most teams that would be willing to, to take on that cap hit. And he is definitely in the category of the Islanders would need a sweetener to get rid of Johnny Boychuk's contract. Now, as far as sweeteners go, their first-round pick is likely gone this year. Their second-round pick is likely gone this year, both in the Pajot deal. Their second-round pick in 2021 is gone in the Andy Green deal. So not a ton of sweeteners left in terms of draft picks in the future. Um, So that's why I think Letty is kind of the most obvious candidate. I think Mayfield probably sticks around just because if you're lining up the way that you ideally see your team lining up, um, you know you've probably got uh, Ryan Pollock as your number one right side defenseman. Mayfield two or three, Noah Dobson two or three, and then Boychuk's your seventh guy. If if you've got a full complement of defensemen on the right side, and Scott Mayfield three more years at one point four five, he's only twenty seven. I, I don't think that's a contract you can be willing to give up uh, when you when you're going to be tight to the cap the way the Islanders are next year. Um, you know, it's $81.5 million salary cap right now. If it goes up to 83, uh, you know, in, ad, in advance of a new CBA with new TV money, um, you know, the, it's going to be tight next year. There's not going to be a huge increase like there wasn't this past year. So already with 70 million committed, the Islanders need to, need to save their pennies wherever they can. And I think Scott Mayfield is, is a penny saver with that contract. So it's probably led or your boy, Chuck. It's ideally lad if you can, um, but then, you know, if you're talking about UFAs, there, there's some interesting guys out there and you, you kind of wonder what the UFA market is going to look like uh when we get to the off season. It it always seems to be a little different, you know, guys end up kind of signing whether it's before they get free um or uh you know, the guys that do get to July 1, I think teams have already the good teams have already kind of decided their own path. So you know, Taylor Hall is probably the biggest one out there, a guy who primarily plays the wing. Um, if you're looking for someone to set up uh, uh, for the f- long-term future alongside Matthew Barzell, uh, he'd be your guy. He's going to cost 9 or $10 million a year, so there'd have to be a lot of salary shed to make that happen. I think if you're looking uh, a little bit further down, the guys that are currently uh, free agents, Mike Hoffman, who's already 30, I think that maybe drives his price down a little bit, Um down in Florida. He's a guy who's who's uh, probably ideally suited to be a, a scoring winger alongside Barzal. Um, you know, a lefty who can play the right side, maybe. There, there's some That gives them some flexibility there. Um, you know, I think if you're looking at, if the Islanders were looking at Tyler Toffoli, which I'm not sure that they were, he seemed like a good fit. A guy who can also play both sides uh, as a right shot, which they don't have a ton of. Um, we'll have to see what he's going to Bring on the open market, or whether he loves it in Vancouver and they have the room to sign him. I, I think uh, there's a lot of considerations there. Um, you know, you look a little further down the list, uh, also in Florida, an older guy, Evgeny Dadnov, who's had quietly a nice uh, NHL career since coming over from the KHL. Florida needs to get better on D. If they miss the playoffs, they might start to shake some things up a little bit. So I, I certainly don't think they can keep Hoffman and Dadnov. Uh, and if they're both free, maybe that uh, make someone a little bit more affordable. I think as far as the Islanders go, when they look for guys who fill good roles and are versatile, also down in Florida, Eric Holla, who was just traded down there from Carolina and who's bounced around an awful lot in the last few years from mini to Vegas, where he had a Vegas where he had a career year and then suffered a, a hideous broken leg, uh, last season and kind of fell off the map a bit, ended up in Carolina on a cheap deal, uh, after being traded. um, He's free this year. He's coming off a deal at two seventy five. Twenty nine years old. Uh, a very a very confident guy who can score and plays a lot of different positions. So maybe someone like that, Matthias Yanmark, down in Dallas, is a guy who uh, maybe you know is a, is a big guy. He's not a big scorer, but I think he can kind of fit what uh, what the Islanders are doing. Um, And then, uh, you know, as far as uh, you know, further down, if they want to get a little bit deeper and uh, on the wings, on the third and fourth lines, let's say Matt Martin doesn't come back, and they're looking for a little bit more speed out of that fourth line uh, because they already do have Ross Johnston. If that happens, you know, maybe a guy like Matt Nieto out in Colorado, who's who's lightning fast, kills penalties, offers a lot of versatility, especially if you're thinking about buying out Komarov. you know, you need some guy with those sorts of intangibles. I think Nieto is a guy who's bounced around a bit but really uh, has some skill to go with uh, what he provides there in terms of defense. And then Jesper Faust, uh, another right-shot guy, which, like I said, the Islanders do not have a lot of. Uh, he's been a Ranger for his whole NHL career. Very unassuming guy. Uh, he wears an A uh, on a team full of young guys with the Rangers, with it, which I think says a lot. And I think, uh, I think he's a guy who might get one of those – four times three, four times four contracts where you're just like, whoa, this guy's got, what, 12 goals most in his career? and uh, But I think uh, I think a lot of people like what he brings in terms of uh, a high motor, you know, never quits. He always seems to score a goal against the Islanders, too, at the Garden. Um, and he's had a good, productive year. Obviously, he's not going to get to play alongside guys like Panarin and, and Ryan Strom again, wherever he goes. But uh, he'll be in high demand, I would think, and, and uh, probably not a, a super high cost. So, there are guys out there now, as we sit at the end of February. When we get to the end of June, when when it matters, and guys are, you know, agents are talking to teams about their free agents, I think that market's going to look a lot different. But uh, but still interesting to uh, to kind of um, consider. Um, Iles forty seven with a question. We've got four centers now uh, that seem to be here for the long term. So what's the plan for Otto Koivula? Uh And there was also a question from Mike. G about uh, can this team afford to re-sign Sezikis after next season, assuming Barzal gets locked up. Uh, probably not is the question. I think next season is going to be a big one in terms of who fits where. Um, they're going to go into that season with uh, probably top three or four um, Center rosters in terms of uh, depth around the league. I don't think anybody can boast the the number three and four centers that the Islanders do with, between Sizikas and Pajio, and that ideally is going to be their identity for a lot of next season, provided everybody stays healthy. Uh, take a lot of a lot of the heat off of Barzal and Brock Nelson, allow them to maybe be in more offensive style situations, um, and really just uh, you know tighten up some of the checking issues that maybe have crept in a little bit at some, during some of the downtimes this season. Um, now, that staying healthy part is is a key because it, it's been a bunch of crazy things that have happened to Casey Zizekas over the last few years, but they've all combined to keep him from playing a full season. And this one that he's been out with now these last couple weeks with a skate cut to his leg, uh, seemingly he'll be back in a, in a week or two. Um, I don't know that he's been skating. He certainly hasn't been skating with the team. So those things do add up in people's minds when, it's time, when it comes time to dole out new contracts. Um, it, there's certainly nothing that he that he doesn't do uh, that, that, you know, he's a perfect fit on this team. He's the identity of this team. I mean, Matthew Barzal is the star. Brock Nelson is probably the unsung hero. Guys like Adam Pellick and Pollock are, are really identified as playing Islander hockey. But I think out of everybody on this roster, Casey Zizekas is the ultimate Islander. So that may factor in a, about whether you're willing to let him go. But if he's asking for four or four and a half million over three or four years when he gets to free agency, then I don't know that you can have so much money tied up down the middle. Um, the The benefit to them, I think, is that a lot of a lot, I think, really the their only bona fide forward prospects right now are wingers: Oliver Wallström, Simon Holmström, who's uh, kind of been on the rise the last couple of weeks down in Bridgeport, Kiefer Bellows, if he's going to stick around. Um, these three guys can can start to blend in a little bit better I think with the big club on their entry-level deals and also play with good centers no matter where they're playing um, I think that's a big factor in, in why Lou made this commitment to to Pajot, not only in terms of the cost to give up but also in the contract um, and I think if you have fewer areas of need to identify when you get to the offseason it, it uh, it allows you to move forward you know if if Ilya Sorokin comes over and plays on a reasonable contract next year as, as the 1B to Semyon Varlamov's 1A uh, if their D is relatively set if they can make some moves around to, uh, to free up some cap space and if they get their guys signed I think they feel like they're set for a long time um, it may not be a roster that scares you that much but I think this is the way that they've identified that they can move forward and, and the biggest hole was was having one more center uh, and they did that with Pajot. Now, when it comes to Coivola, who uh, you know has been filling in as, as the f- number four center, uh, this is a guy who's been playing center for l- roughly a calendar year. Uh, it was around December, I think, last year when they made the switch for him in his first North American pro season. He seems to be adapting well, but I think as a big body who can skate a little bit and has really nice hands, uh, you know, moving him back to the wing is not going to be an issue. So if that if that's the way that they feel like they can get him some games in the NHL, or if uh, that you know he can he can go back to being um, a twenty goal scorer like he was in Bridgeport last year? Um, then that's what they'll do. You know, I think uh, moving if he was a center to start and moving to the wing takes a little bit more transition. But the fact that he's already done both, um, you know, I think uh, I think he can move back. So having that versatility uh, really helps them. And, uh, and if they've got one or two of those young guys on the opening night roster next year, um, then they've that's kind of a little bit out of necessity and how they've had to manage the cap and uh, a little bit of how the plan is supposed to go because they wanted to be deep and have some seniority down the middle um, and then fill in where they could. And here's one from Chris Caruana. Should the Islanders give Matt Barzell a bridge deal in the summer? I'm sure they'd love to. Uh, that would alleviate a lot of salary cap concerns if he would take two times, say, six and a half or six, seven, five or three times seven. I don't think it's happening, though. Um, not that I can speak to anything uh, concrete, but, uh, but seeing what went down last summer with all of these, uh, these big-name restricted free agents and, and kind of culminating with the Mitch Marner deal, which was over $10 million over five years. We'll take, walk him right up to the edge of uh, unrestricted free agency. Um, I think that's probably your starting point. Um, and if the Islanders are willing to, to do that, then it'll be a quick negotiation. But I can't see that they'll, they'll be willing to make that sort of commitment and hamstring themselves down the road. Um, the ten million dollars, you know, it, it's eventually when this new TV deal, and the new CBA comes through, if if things go as planned, it will look not so bad. Um, but uh, but in the short term, it's going to hurt. Like we said, they've they're already at seventy million dollars in in terms of cap commitments next season. If you give him ten million. You absolutely have to lose some salaries before you can do anything else with your defenseman. and and Ryan, you know Matthew Barzal's. There's no one like him on this roster. But Ryan Pollock and Devon Taves, if you were to take those guys off the roster, that's a bigger blow than taking Barzal off it. Not that any of those things is going to happen, but um, but it's a lot to consider, and uh, there's a lot of juggling that's going to be going on. Um, I think once this season ends there's going to be a lot of options on the table that maybe we haven't even thought of guys maybe offered around uh, in trade that uh, we wouldn't have thought of whether it's a Jordan Everly, maybe or a Josh Bailey. And it's not necessarily because uh, they don't fit or they're not productive or they're not wanted members of the Islanders. It's, it's simply cap concerns and um, you know, it, it, it sort of behooves them to make the playoffs and have some success when they're there to justify what's going to come. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know who who they decide needs to go, um, whether it's an obvious choice or not. Um, you know, I tend to think, like I said, it's you know Letty, Boychuck, Lad. Those are probably the three guys uh, that are the most expendable, but mostly because Lad can still play and still help someone. One, and the other two guys are just big contracts that you would probably like to take off the books because, at best, they're going to fill more uh, more reserve roles next year as they get older. Um, but uh, but we'll see, you know. Lou usually has some interesting ideas, uh, and Steve Intrabartola, who always uh, comes up with some good questions, says now that they're up again coming up against the cap, uh, once the RFAs are signed, how do they take the next step to Cup contender? Uh, that's an excellent question. You know, you look at uh, you look at the way that that teams like Tampa and Boston and Pittsburgh and Washington reload and retool and nibble around the edges every year to get better. You know, Tampa. Tampa took a big swing giving up their first round pick uh, for uh, a fourth line guy in Barkley Goodrow at the deadline which was fascinating to me but but I think it, as you get further away from the excitement of the day and when you hear all the chatter of like oh my god how can you give up a first round pick because they're so valuable uh, which is you know fueled a lot of the criticism of the Islanders deal because they're giving up a first round pick and they're certainly not in the same situation the Lightning are um but what Tampa did is you know it's managing assets to keep to keep being an elite team the islanders are managing their assets are they an elite team i'm not so sure yet um and that's you know that's something that's going to have to be assessed whether it's this year or next year um their core is uh, is not a young group they're among the oldest teams in the league even right now uh which is another reason you want to infuse some of the holmstroms and wallstroms and Sirokins into your into your roster to to stay younger um to allow some young guys to grow because you're going to have to make some decisions on, you know, if you don't win at all, you're going to have a lot of decisions to make uh, once uh, once contracts come up. So um, I imagine the next step is really getting a, a true bona fide scoring winger. Um, it's been the thing that's kind of bedeviled them for a while. There's no guarantees that even if you sign a Mike Hoffman or even a Taylor Hall, that you suddenly become a contender, you know. I think Taylor Hall's experience in Arizona shows you that Arizona was a team that's built to scratch and claw uh, and play a similar style as the Islanders do, and they bring in Taylor Hall and they've kind of fallen off. I mean, there's other reasons; their goalies have been hurt. Um, it's a couple other defensemen have been hurt, uh, but they can't. They still can't score. So one guy doesn't necessarily make it happen, especially if that's your mentality is to grind out every every point point every night uh, to try to keep scores low and and win you know, in a scratch-and-claw type game. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't sound as exciting, I think, when you start to think about the offseason when the big names are out there. Um, but uh, but I think if they can add someone who's who's another reliable player, I think I think the part of the downfall, if there is going to be one this year for the Islanders, is just not having enough depth. And uh, and it's hard to have quality NHL depth uh you know, in the cap era to have guys stashed away. I mean, they're, they're probably uh, the fact that they're guys that they've been calling up are fairly young and inexperienced, you know, hopefully by next year, whether it's Coivolo, Wallstrom, Holmstrom, if they're ready to come up, uh, they're more ready to contribute. But, um, but with their, their injuries, especially to key guys like Sizikis and Cal Clutterbuck, uh, I think they, they just didn't have things in the right order, which is a phrase they like to use a lot. Pajot puts a lot of things in the right order, Uh, it may not be in time to send them on a deep run this year. Uh, the same on defense. And I think, you know, Andy Green, uh, being here doesn't seem to me like a short-term situation. If he ends up being, uh, their third pair lefty and they can afford to move on from Letty or afford to move on from somebody else, uh, and kind of put things in the right order. That's, uh, that's another move that was for today and for tomorrow as well, I think. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't see them just treading water. I mean, it being a hundred point team year after year, I think the Islanders proved that a few years ago that, uh, you can't just hit that mark. And then suddenly everybody becomes that elite level player. They, they needed to do more after 15, 16 to maintain that level. Um, but, uh, but I think they're, they're edging closer towards it. You know, as their young, good wingers start to emerge a little bit more from, from, from their youth, um, They have a shot. They have a shot. Everything has to go right, but I guess that goes for, you know, all but one team. Uh, Everything does have to go right for to even have a shot to not only get in the playoffs but go deep in the playoffs. You have to stay healthy. You have to produce at the right time. Your goalies have to make timely saves, all that other cliche stuff. So, um I think they're certainly closer than anybody would have thought when uh when Lou and Barry took over before last season but uh but yeah you know a scoring winger who who is a shoot first a guy with a mentality of putting the puck in the net but can also play in this system I think is probably the next thing that they need and uh I don't think we'll see that until the summer and maybe not even then depending on what other things they can shake loose from their own roster that's all we got uh for today thank you so much for listening in sorry that mark couldn't be here there were a couple of questions that were geared just to him and uh maybe next week we'll get to them and uh and he'll provide his keen insight as a former player and a former goal scorer about what uh what the islanders need to to move forward right now so uh we'll be back with you next week with uh some breakdowns of a couple big games coming up the blues uh Thursday, thursday night from last night uh the bruins Saturday afternoon Butch Goring's banner number 91 is going up to the rafters that'll be an an exciting and emotional uh, afternoon at the Coliseum on Saturday and we'll be back with you on Tuesday with our next episode of No Sleep Till Belmont thanks a lot everybody we'll see you soon